Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we are talking about your 12 and 33 Detroit Pistons. I did not realize they were 12 and 33. I knew they had only won 12 games, but like 12 and 12 and 33, that's a, yeah, it's, it's been that kind of year for, for your Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about what did and did not happen at the trade deadline for the Pistons, the impact of Jeremy Grant's quad contusion, please just rest Jeremy Grant, that'd make everybody feel better, and Blake Griffin's heel turn in his return to Little Caesars Arena. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis during this crappy, crappy season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, you ready to talk about this crappy team? <laughs> Laz, I am so ready to talk about this crappy team. Let's do this thing. <laughs> okay, so uh, the first thing I guess we should talk about is like the trade deadline. That was a thing that had nothing to do with the crappy team on the floor so much but that was a thing that happened this week only major uh piece of impact for the detroit pistons which i was a little surprised by was the delon wright uh cory joseph trade delon wright to the sacramento kings for cory joseph and two future second round picks or one 2021 second round pick and one 2024 second round pick ben do you like these uh seventh graders i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) right uh yeah i mean i think this is reasonable um, I was a little surprised it ended up being the Kings. I, I kind of thought maybe a team that was a little better would be interested in DeLon. But um, yeah, I mean, this makes sense. You get Corey Joseph coming back, um, you know, non-guaranteed contract, partially guaranteed contract, I guess should say, next season. And restock in the cupboard with uh, some of those picks that uh, Weaver sent out in his first couple days uh, in Detroit. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm completely fine with this. It's, it's not super exciting. Maybe feels a little underwhelming, but Overall, I think it is fine. It's a solid move. Yeah. This is also good for the tank, right? Corey Joseph uh, is has been playing worse than DeLon Wright on the year. And for whatever reason, Corey Joseph played, I believe, 29 minutes against the Washington Wizards and was mostly terrible in all of them. And so, <laughs> Both and of those so, things are true. Yeah. And so this is this is good for the long term. I guess this is a, now this is a short-term goal, right? We're, we're 50-ish games into the year. This is the, the short-term goal for the Pistons is to lose as much as humanly possible. Um, and this trade helps accomplish that. But yeah, there's not a lot of uh, ink to spill on Corey Joseph and DeLon Wright. Uh, I think what is more interesting to talk about, Ben, is what didn't happen at the trade deadline. We didn't see a Wayne Ellington trade, a little bit of a surprise. We didn't see a Mason Plumley trade, less of a surprise. We did not see a Sekou Numbuya trade, which I don't know. It, I, I don't know if that's a surprise or not. It seems like Sekou has very little value to anybody and 
only marginally more value to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, what, do, what do you make of the fact that uh, Pistons had some vets that were available that uh, did not get traded? Well, I, I've been speculating about Plumlee for a while. I, I feel like he's having a really nice season. He's aging very well. I thought he might be a trade target, but you know, maybe this speaks to the fact that when you look around the league at the people who are really contending, um, you know, not necessarily in need of a big man, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, looks like Drummond is going to sign with the Lakers. This news breaking sort of just before we're starting to record. So maybe there just wasn't a market there. You know, with Wayne Ellington, again, we know what he can do, and that's shoot the lights out. But everybody in the NBA had a chance to sign him to the minimum this past offseason, and he ended up in Detroit. So maybe that speaks to the perception around the league about, you know, Wayne Ellington's value. Um, you know, as you've talked about his defense, it's not good. Uh, maybe there's just not enough of a of an offensive force there to make teams think he's a net positive. And Seku, I mean, I don't think the Pistons ought to have necessarily been shopping him. You might as well just sit on him for a little while. He's still young. He's only been playing basketball a handful of years. And clearly, uh, no one's going to give up much to get him. So I, I think probably your your highest reward option with Seku is to hold on to him for another year. So none of that surprised me too much. Yeah, I think... The, we have to keep hammering this home. Even though Seku sucks right now, the fact that he sucks makes him difficult to trade because no one's going to give you anything of value for a guy that, even if he's young, that sucks. And so it it just makes a lot of sense to why he's not getting shopped necessarily. I know that was a fear of Pistons fans. I'm glad we can kind of put that fear aside and let Seku play his six minutes a night in peace for the rest of the season. <laughs> And as far as like Mason Plumlee, uh, you know, there there were just a lot of big men out there on the buyout market, right? You, yeah. you talked about Andre Drummond, Ben. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was another guy who got picked up by Brooklyn. And Brooklyn was one of the names we had heard, right, that, that was interested in Mason Plumlee. And, you know, they found a, a backup center or tertiary center. They found another big man, um, you know, on the buyout market for, for a, a minimum, essentially. Um, you know, Gorgie Jang is still out there, and there's rumors of, uh, I think, the the Knicks and Heat being uh, interested in him after Mitchell Robinson broke his foot. Um, and so, like, yeah, it's just it makes a lot of sense as to why uh, Mason, Mason Plumlee had more value to the Pistons than anyone else. Um, that value is, you know, still being displayed on the floor, where uh, after the, uh, the first uh, game after the trade deadline, we got the Rodney Magruder start at, at point guard. That was uh, quickly rectified with uh, Saban Lee playing the uh, starting role in, for the point guard position uh, in the next game after the trade deadline. We saw, you know, we've seen Rodney, we've seen Saban, we've seen a lot of Corey Joseph, like we mentioned. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. is currently out with a, a back injury, I believe. And obviously, like we, we've talked about uh, Killian Hayes and why he's uh, currently not playing. Um, ben, what, what, do you think the, what do you think the plan is at point guard? without DeLon Wright. Well, I'm hoping that the consistent part of that rotation is Saban Lee. I think this is a good chance to sort of evaluate what his strengths and limitations are and hopefully inform a development plan for the coming summer. He's certainly shown us more than we expected as we've talked about at length. So let's keep playing him. Um, you know, Corey Joseph playing 21 or excuse me, 29 minutes the other night. Last night, I think it was. Just, yeah. I, I don't get that so much. Um, so I'd like to see his minutes go down a little bit. But, you know, I expect you're just going to see a lot of shuffling. The Pistons, other than Sabin Lee, don't necessarily seem very committed to any of those guys. 
Um, you know, you've got, I think Magruder's under contract one more season, Corey Joseph partially guaranteed. Um, DSJ is obviously a free agent. So I think you just sort of mix those three guys together. And, you know, only Troy Weaver knows what he's got in his head uh, in terms of, you know, who he wants to bring back. So hopefully there's some communication happening with the coach around rotation so we can get a real clear evaluation of any of those guys that you might want to bring back. Yeah. I, I mean, I know the, I'm going to pump fake a little bit, Ben. I know the Washington game was a rough watch. I DVR'd <sighs> it. And uh, yeah, that first half was, uh, was definitely not the most fun I've ever had as a Pistons fan, but um, I've been struck by kind of how I've Saban's limitations have been more visible to me, the more playing time he's gotten and mm, under, you know, I that's agree. understandable. Yeah. Um, you know, it has, has he impressed you lately since the uh, since the twenty one point game in Orlando? Has he done anything memorable? Yeah, I mean, I can't say he's impressed me, and I think that's a good call out. Yeah. I think that you know the question is, um, what sort of ceiling is there? And I don't know that it's super high. To me, he still looks like a third string guard fighting for a second string job, right? Like, but I think you you look at the guys who are under contract, like I mentioned, DSJ not likely part of the plan mm-hmm. um you you've get, you drafted him you picked him you might as well give him the next 20 or so games to get his 20 to 24 minutes a night so you can just get a real clear sense of okay you know we know these are his weaknesses when he's up against top of the line nba competition right so we take this summer to evaluate and develop and see if he's able to overcome some of them Um, So, you know, that would be sort of my approach. And then obviously that's until Killian Hayes gets back. We'll see what his minute restrictions are when Mm -hmm. he gets back. But, you know, hopefully when when Killian comes back, we're seeing more of those young guys and a lot less of uh, Corey Joseph and Rodney Gruder. No, I I agree with that 100 percent. I guess now now my fear is. He's like, are these are these good minutes that we're we're getting out of Saban Lee? Is he is he learning things as defenses kind of adjust to the the individual and the player that he is, you know, as they you know play off of him more, and he's you know still probing in the lane, but finding those passing lanes, you know, more difficult to exploit with NBA athletes. Like, uh, and of course you're right that informs a development plan. But like, it, are these are these good minutes? Are they hurting his confidence? Are they helping him? He seems fine. I'm just it's something I'm. Now, as we talk about it, now I'm like, huh, I wonder what Ben thinks, and I'm going to keep an eye on that. And so, yeah, we'll 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 keep an eye on that definitely in the future. And I'm I'm also going to be asking these same questions about Killian when when he returns, mm-hmm. uh, because of the uh, these similar questions, right about about the shot, about the ability to pass when defenses are playing you to pass instead of shoot. Um, and you know, as as he struggles with the outside shot, you know what what. Are are you learning things on an NBA floor when when defenses are adjusting and bending like that? But yeah, this that's not. I don't want to have like a super long conversation about that. But that's something I'm just going to be keeping an eye on as we move along throughout the season. Um, I don't know how to transition into the next thing. <laughs> Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant hurt his leg. Uh, he didn't play most of the second half against the Washington Wizards. Um, I believe it was, a, it was called a quad contusion on the broadcast. I haven't seen any more news uh, about that, and I doubt we will get anything until tomorrow in advance of tomorrow's game against the Toronto Raptors. Um, I also thought he he got looked like he tweaked an ankle. It looked like uh, it looked like Rui Hachimura kind of undercut him on a jumper in the second quarter, and so you know, Ben, this this plays into the, my thought about you know how. Uh, how many minutes we've asked Jeremy to play, how much we've asked from Jeremy on offense. We got um, 
a little bit of a hint that, you know, Jeremy might not uh, be part of the team forever if the team is going to be bad the rest of the season. Um, not necessarily that he's getting traded, but just like, you know, he might rest more often because the, the team doesn't have as much need of him as it might otherwise have. We might start to see that too if he's going to get uh, injured and dinged up as much as he has over the last like 15-ish or so games. Uh, ben, what, what kind of adjustments do you think we'll see to the rotation if Jeremy Grant doesn't play? Well, certainly, um, you know, I guess it depends on where you see Seiko Dembuya. Um, if he's just going to yeah. get his six minutes a game and he's mostly slotted at power forward, um, you know, my natural in- inclination will just, we'll just play him a little bit more. Um, the franchise seems to be higher on cook than I am. I mean, he, he's, he's fine. Like he does some okay stuff when he's out there, but I, I don't know what, I don't necessarily know why they'd be considering him part of the long-term future, but you know, probably it means more Josh Jackson minutes, which, you know, is probably good for the tank. Um, I, I hope, but don't expect to see some Seiko Dembuya. Um, you know, he still remains mostly invisible when, when I watch him play, he just, he, he doesn't seem to integrate himself into what the rest of the five man unit is doing. He just sort of seems to be in kind of his own, he's marching to the beat of his own drummer is what my Mm -hmm. dad would say. Um, So no, that's what I'd like. I'd like to see some Seiko. I'd really like to see them, you know, I'd like to see Seiko do more than sort of stand in the corner as a spot up shooter and be a rim runner in transition. Like I'd like to see them find a way to intentionally sort of synchronize him in with the rest of what the five man unit is doing. And with Grant out, it seems like an opportunity to do that. But, you know, I, I don't know. I'm skeptical that it's going to happen. I'm sort of expecting more Josh Jackson, maybe some small three-guard lineups, which kind of makes me cringe just thinking about it. We, we have enough guards to do that. <laughs> we do. And then probably, um, you know, some more of Cook. But I think, you know, he's probably more of a, a four than a tweener. So that's kind of yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. I, 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 we've talked a lot about Seku. And we talked actually earlier in the podcast about how uh, our relief at him not being traded and his value, um, whether or not he plays more with or without Jeremy Grant kind of just remains to be seen. Uh, you have to assume that his numbers or his minutes would go up, but would it go up uh, a factor enough to be pleasing to Pistons fans, right? If he goes from a six minute stretch to a 10 minute stretch, is is that good enough? Is that probably not in the eyes of most people? Um, is it uh, is it better than the the six minute stretch staying a six minute stretch? I, I suppose so, but I, again, we're as we're, we're tilting at uh, hypotheticals right now. But yeah, in in the hypothetical case, you'd, I obviously you'd like to see Seku play more minutes. But I, I did want to use this as an opportunity to talk about Tyler Cook. We got a report, a tweet uh, from Omari Sankofa that the Pistons are going to sign Cook to a second 10-day contract. He played 16 minutes, uh, so basically like doubled Seku's minutes uh, against the Wizards and has played the played a lot of second halves, played a lot of you know late third quarter, early fourth quarter minutes for this Pistons team. Um, ben, how, how are you feeling about, about Tyler Cook? Well, <laughs> I guess they sort of need a big body, so committing yeah. another... 10 days is fine, I guess. Um, you know, I can't say that he's done anything that jumps out at me. Um, I really, mean, he, I guess he does jump. 
he does jump. True, he does jump. Um, I, I just feel like I just feel so meh about him. Like it, he needs he needs it on a ten day contract. Like you need to see more than you know two rebounds in sixteen minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just it, it just seems eh. like yeah, he's on a ten day contract, and that seems about where he should be. That's how I feel about him right now. Yeah, he seems like just a guy. Like an athletic guy, don't get me wrong. Uh, they've thrown him some very ambitious lobs, which lets me know that he's putting them down in practice or they, they trust him to make those type of plays. But the athleticism doesn't necessarily translate to, like much like Seku, it doesn't really translate to anything defensively. We don't see any like crazy rim protection or anything where he's like a an insane perimeter defender or anything like that. Uh, it doesn't translate as a rebounder. He is slightly undersized, I think, at 6'8", um, to, to be a rim protector. But if you can jump like that, you should be able to make an impact uh, on, on defense somehow. And so, like, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to me that Cook has been getting more minutes when he looks equally not ready to be an NBA player as Dumbuya. And, like, that is, I think, more cause for concern. Um, they do very different things, right? Like we we hope eventually uh, Seku is able to be a ball handler, shooter, and that does not look like it's it's Cook's game at all. Um, and, but it's also like it's weird that they feel like they need that element. I know like they they had a lineup with like him and Beef Stew, and like I guess you you see like a, a reason for Beef Stew to like be spacing the floor more in that lineup. But uh, yeah, it just takes it takes away from what. It takes away from what Stewart is best at to like highlight what Cook is supposed to be doing, and he doesn't even really do it. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. It's not like Tyler Cook is like the worst player I've ever seen don a Detroit Pistons uniform. I'm not like. I don't. I don't. I can't think of anybody else that really deserves a, a 10 day contract for this crappy team right now. And so, like, yeah, it's like sure. Take take another 10 day look at Tyler Cook if that's what you really feel like doing. But uh, he hasn't done anything in the, those ten days other than jump really, really high, <laughs> than than to uh, to impress me. Yeah. So, well, speaking of stuff that impressed me, stuff that surprised me, the Pistons uh, had a twenty-five to two run in the third quarter against Washington. That impressed me. I did not see that coming. That was a a motivating factor for me to stay awake during the second half of that DVR game. Um, but then that also got me thinking about something I tweeted a little bit earlier this week. The Pistons are the 15th best defense in the league. They have the 15th highest defensive rating in the league per NBA.com. They have the 11th best defense in the league, Ben, in the nine game since the All-Star break. Ben, do the Pistons feel like the 11th best defense in the NBA to you since the All-Star break? <laughs> they don't feel like the 11th best at anything. Um, yeah, that is a surprising surprising statistic to me. And, you know, as, as I was looking at the notes prior to the podcast, thinking about this, like thinking about this week's worth of games, like Jeremy Grant did some really cool individual stuff against James Harden. Like that really jumped out to me as something that was impressive on defense. But, and then of course they kind of shut down the wizards in the third quarter when they made that, you know, they basically flipped the script from the second quarter to the third quarter. So that stands out, but I, I can't, I can't think of sequences, right? Like where you get three stops in a row or something like that, that, that jump out and say, Oh yeah, this is why the Pistons are the best, <laughs> the 11th best defensive reading in the league. Right. It, it does not, 
it does not comport with my experience when I'm watching them play. That's for sure. I think probably that's impacted a little bit by how much they've struggled to score. Um, so, you know, you, just when you're watching subjectively, you get down on the fact that they haven't been able to shoot the ball. Um, but yeah, that, that was a shocker to me, Les. I, it, it doesn't feel like that when I'm watching them for sure. Yeah. I think when, when I talked about this on Twitter, other people kind of pointed out to me that like trading Blake or not trading Blake, uh, you know, not playing Blake is probably a big impact on that. I would definitely agree with that. Um, and I think that points to a larger thing that they no longer have any subpar defenders in the like consistent rotation. I mean, like Wayne is kind of the worst defender that they play on a pretty consistent base. And he's bad, but he is a veteran, right? He's good positionally. He's six five and like uses it occasionally. Um, we see him play the passing lane sometimes. He's not He's not bad in the way uh, where that like Derrick Rose was bad on defense at, at times. And so I think this this points to the power of both um, caring a lot about the regular season in a way that I suppose other teams may, may not be caring about the regular season at this point in time. This, this points to uh, part of Troy Weaver's vision of building a roster full of athletes who are inclined to in coaching them to to. Uh, be inclined to compete on the defensive end um, at the uh, you know at the cost of talent and shooting offensively. Um, this also just can, again just points to to coaching. This points to the the way that Dwayne Casey has established that this team can stay in games because of their lack of offensive talent is going to have to be on the defensive end. And so yeah, it's like I but again like if you had told me like 17th or 19th, like, sure. I would have believed that, but 11th, that just, that, that strikes me as uh, anomalous. We will, we'll see whether or not that continues, but yeah, Pistons fans, you guys have the uh, 11th best defense in the NBA in the, over the last nine games that, that feels crazy. And it felt just as crazy to us as it, as it should feel to you. Uh, speaking of things that were crazy to Pistons fans, Ben, we got the uh, ignominious return of Blake Griffin <laughs> to Little Caesars Arena, and we got the benefit of him going full wrestling heel against the Pistons. He finishes a lob, yells at the bench that he still got it. He gets Isaiah Stewart ejected. He uh, he scraps a little bit with Sadiq after a loose ball. He scores seventeen points in twenty minutes in a Brooklyn win. So Ben, does this uh, is this risable to you? Are you feeling any more animosity towards Blake Griffin than you were before the game? Laz, I am surprised by how strong my reaction was to this stuff. Um, you know, getting into it with Stewart and Sadiq Bay doesn't bother me at all. Like, to me, that's completely to be expected. You've gone up against these guys in practice. You know them, and then suddenly you're lined up, you know, wearing the opposite jersey. And you're going to get it into it with the youngins, right? Like, you want to show them a thing or two as, as the veteran who left <laughs> under the cloud of being washed up and all that kind of stuff. You want to show them you've got more in the tank. You know, that that flop against Stewart was just all-time level Blake Griffin flopping. But, you know, I, I don't have any resentment or as, animosity about those two things, getting in, into it with those two guys. I am, quite honestly pretty 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 po'd about two things the first one is blake finishing the lob you know blake's first bucket as a net was like a drive right down the middle and a dunk um 
it suggests to me the very real possibility that that Blake Griffin was sandbagging this season. I don't know that for sure, but it it certainly looks like it at least a little bit. And that if that's the case, that really really bothers me because you know, as someone who played basketball, you never ever quit on your teammates, no matter how hard it gets. You can get frustrated, you can get mad, but you play as hard as you can to the maximum of your capacity, regardless of what that capacity is, right? And I say that as someone who, you know, by the time I got to college was just a very situational role player who didn't see the floor a lot. But when I did, you play hard, whether you're up 20, down 20, or, or right in the thick of it. You, you don't quit. Um, so that that really bothers me. Um, the second thing is, I don't know, to call it a pop-off at the bench is maybe to overstate the case, but it sure looked like it was just a, an unnecessary, petty, cheap shot at a Detroit coaching staff who, frankly, has... You, like, you look at those individuals, in particular Dwayne Casey, and you look at the level of character and pedigree and, like, just absolutely no desire from that coaching staff to get down into the weeds and go low at anyone ever, right? Like... I don't always agree with Coach Casey's rotations and game plans, but as a human being and as a man, what he has done since he's been in the city of Detroit has my absolutely utmost respect. So to see him pop off at the at the bench, you know, was it at the coaches? Was it at the players? Only Blake knows that for sure. But, but boy, it's, it's sure a bad look for him. It just makes him look petty and immature. And, you know, I don't love Blake Griffin the way a lot of other Pistons fans do, especially younger Pistons fans for whom Blake was, you know, the only real big name that they've ever seen play. So maybe I'm a little bit biased, but boy, I feel like that has to leave a really sour taste in people's mouths who bought the jerseys, went to the games, cheered him on. Um, You know, and you look Blake's legacy in Detroit probably can be and ultimately probably will be that he led a poor team to the playoffs sacrificed his leg and potentially future career to try to get a win um and in that context like plus the fact that the pistons didn't have to buy blake griffin out right they could have just let him choose to ride out the season on the bench and opt out if he chooses to but they paid him a whole bunch of money plus let him go wherever he wanted to so for him to act that way at the bench really, really bothered me. Um, and look, I hope I hope the next time, if I'm ever at the Palace, or the Palace, if I'm ever at LCA, <laughs> when Blake Griffin is on the opposing team, I'm going to boo loudly, and that's something I don't do. Because um, that, that, just, that just left a really, a really bad impression. And I, I hope he realizes that that's below him, and I hope that he realizes that you know, the, the players don't play for the fans. They shouldn't, they don't, and I get that. But I hope he realizes that it, it was just an unnecessary way to take a cheap shot at a fan base who, who really came to adore him and is now really struggling watching one of the worst teams the franchise has ever fielded uh, and one of the worst in the current NBA. I thought it was notable that after the game, Dwayne Casey was asked about Blake Griffin twice and said something to the uh, equivalent of, you know, we don't talk about other teams' players. It's like, I know that's not true because I've heard you talk about other teams' players. 
But for whatever reason, it, it sounded like he did not particularly want to talk about Blake Griffin that night. And part of what you just said uh, about him, you know, talking to the bench, ex- exclaiming to the bench, yelling at the bench might be part of why Dwayne Casey did not want to speak about Blake Griffin after that particular game. You know, I, I'm i not mad at Blake. I'm probably not going to boo Blake, and I, but I definitely don't want to uh, condemn anybody who does. I, it's understandable. You know, after, after everything that happened, um, you would think that, again, like, like you said, but it's, it's above Blake to, to act like that against a bunch of guys. He was ostensibly, you know, mentoring a month and a half ago. It struck me as in character for Blake. You know, we've always, like, when he was in Detroit, he was an agitator, right? He used to, he used to get into it with guys. He got into it with Giannis whenever they played the Bucks, And we liked that about him when he played for Detroit. That clearly was something he was, and that's something he was known for in uh, Los Angeles as well. That's not something that was going to change uh, just because he had familiarity with the guys who were in the, you know, across the court from him. I uh, so it was it wasn't a surprise. Uh, it was a disappointment. I will say though, um, you know, I think that is that's a great way to kind of run your own name through the mud for a fan base that would have, uh, in time, I think, been very kind to Blake um, and what he was able to accomplish, like for this team, especially as uh, it looks like this team is going to be bad for the next couple of years. You know, it would give a lot of people a lot of time to have those good memories kind of embed themselves uh, in into what their, their positive feelings about the Pistons would be. And he just kind of slapped that away from us. And he, he has the right to, to do that. But I didn't think it was the, uh, I didn't think it was the smartest choice he could have made. Um, and as far as sandbagging, I don't think he was sandbagging. I literally think it was just, if it, like I said, I said this in the post game thread, this, what he's doing right now in Brooklyn was a, is the, is the case writ large for aggressively load managing him during the season. And the Pistons never showed any real interest in doing that. Right. If, Blake was only playing 20 minutes a night uh, in Detroit and playing every third game. Like maybe, maybe would we would have seen more dunks out of him. Uh, instead, the coaching staff tried to play him, you know, 35 minutes a night, every single night for the most part. And we got what we got. And so, you know, maybe, maybe this is the case for trying things a little bit differently. The, the next time around, the next time you get a player with Blake Griffin's uh, long, and involved uh, in injury history. Uh, but yeah, Blake could have chose to done better and didn't. That's on him. All right, Ben, it is now time for our weekly segment, the Pistons awful thing that is annoying me this week. This week, the awful thing that is annoying me this week is Josh Jackson doing everything in his power to get back to his right hand. <laughs> That's so particular. <laughs> I was like, once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? He flies off a DHO coming left, spin move back to the right. Or it's a crossover to go back to the right. Or it's an up and under. If it's like a jump stop up and under to go back to the right. It's like, Josh, you're allowed to use your left hand, man. Like, you're you're allowed to do this. Um, 
and you know once once you see this about certain players like you'll never be able to unsee it and so just just keep an eye out for that pistons fans as uh josh jackson flips in like a, a righty scoop layup going left and you're like how did he do that is because he needed to do it with his right hand that's all ben do you have an awful thing this week that's annoying you yeah but it's not directly about the pistons it's indirectly about the pistons I'll i am it. so disappointed in the orlando magic for going full on tank because <laughs> i i was really counting on there being just enough talent on that roster to sneak right under them in the standings and be totally okay with that. So, uh, yep. I, I mean, the Pistons did their part. They lost, they've lost four in a row, but, um, you know, that's one more team. You got Houston, mini Detroit and Orlando now, um, you know, start all in the mix right there. No, no love for the Wendell Carter Jr. Chuma Okiki Orlando magic. Yeah. I, I don't even know who those guys are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. No. Yeah, you're right. It's, We'll see. The The corpse of the Magic play the corpse of the Lakers tonight. And so uh, if and if the Lakers or if the if the Magic can't win that type of game, then like, yes, yeah, it's going to be get a very, very ugly rest of the season for them. Fortunately, I believe they the Pistons have one major advantage over the Magic in that they've already lost uh, three or they've already won three fewer games. True. So they just have to be three games worse than the Magic the rest of the season. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, anything I miss? Anything you want to talk about this week that wasn't uh, related to the Magic tearing things down? I don't think so, Laz. I mean, this has been a difficult season. Um, I, You know, going into the season, I was I was hopeful. I still am hopeful about the long term. But I was really hopeful that we would see more interesting basketball than we've have started to see. I mean, this team still fights, which is incredible. You know, they, they lost four games this week, but two of them were tight. Um, but honestly, man, like it, it's starting to wear on me a bit. It's getting harder to watch this team. And if Jeremy Grant misses time, I mean, ugh, it could be an ugly week or two. So, yeah, I mean, if it weren't for the podcast and, and you know other people interacting with on Twitter and on DBB, you know, it'd be hard to watch, but, you know, fortunately we have an online virtual community to, to sort of wallow around in the suck with, that's all I can say. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for the people who listen. I'm grateful for the people who participate. I'm grateful to be able to chat about it all with you every week as well. And in all, in all honesty, that's, what's getting me through it this year. No, I, I a hundred percent agree with you, Ben talking with you absolutely gets me through this week of uh, and every week of, of Pistons basketball. This is what I was afraid of when like we uh, acknowledged that this year was kind of going to be a rebuilding year. Like, it, young Watching young guys is fun. Um, even when those young guys, especially when those young guys play as hard every night as these Pistons young guys do. But uh, being outskilled every single night gets old pretty quickly and you know with the ncaa tournament going on with the the draft stuff starting to kick up a little bit it gets so much easier to kind of look towards the future and and the possibilities of what could be for this pistons roster than get stuck in the now which is the suck you do not want to get stuck in the suck and so yeah it's it's getting rough for me as well but i am also grateful to have you to talk about it with uh, let's talk about something a little bit happier than to end the podcast. 
What do you expect for this uh, Michigan-Florida State matchup that has not occurred yet? Has not occurred yet. 30 minutes away. But but will by the time. Oh, man. The thing that concerns me about the Wolverines right now is just – I've said it every week. We've talked about it. Their offensive versatility without Isaiah Livers just takes such a hit. He's not a superstar player, but he's versatile and he's one more weapon. And if you look at their starting lineup with him in it – they're just they're just spread out. They've got every guy on that on the floor at any given time can hurt you and can hurt you pretty badly. You take him out of the mix, and that's not the case, and it allows defenses to really zone in on, on shutting down the big guy inside or you know making things really difficult difficult for Wagner or shutting down the dr- dribble penetration from the point guard position. So I'm concerned about their ability to score, um, and I, I'm afraid they just don't have enough weapons to get out of the sweet 16, but um, I'm hoping against hope. I'm going to be cheering. No, absolutely. I think, I think the the Wolverines will be fortunate in that Florida state is not themselves a like high octane ACC team. They are not going to, to pull away and score like 80 points in a college game or anything crazy like that. Like Gonzaga will or, or just did against Creighton. And so, uh, and if you get down into, if you get down into a close college game, like anything's possible. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's, I think that would be my sole comfort. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Hunter Dickinson, uh, Raquan Gary. I think it's, I think it's either, it's either either Raquan or Rashawn Gary, uh, that matchup. I think that will be really interesting. Gary is a little bit undersized. Dickinson, obviously very tall, very skilled. Um, somebody who should be a good NBA draft prospect in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, that, that's the matchup I'll be looking at. Not necessarily the guards, but if they if they choose to get into the muck, if they choose to get into a like stereotypical college, you know, Big Ten basketball game, uh, I think I'll be I'll be interested to see how Dickinson handles that matchup. All right, Ben, the Pistons play the Raptors on Monday, the Blazers on Wednesday, the Wizards on Thursday in a back-to-back. Ooh, another Wizards back-to-back. That'll, that, that's good for the tank. And the Knicks on Saturday. Uh, if I guess if uh, if Jeremy Grant doesn't play that much, these are these are going to be some very tough games, huh, Ben? Yeah, if Grant's out, and look, just rest him. Quad bruises are terrible to deal with. You can't really risk hurting yourself, but they just hurt. They're painful, so let him rest, let him get healthy. Uh, I don't like any of those matchups a whole lot. Um, But you know what I was thinking about when we were playing the Wizards is this season has been frustrating, but at least we don't have to watch Russell Westbrook every game. That's that's how I feel about it. So, uh, yeah, I don't expect a lot of winning this week, um, especially with Grant out. I got the uh, Wizards broadcast on my uh, cable package for League Pass, and they were extolling the virtues of him grabbing uh, like 18 rebounds in his previous game, and he grabbed like another like 16 rebounds against the Pistons as he's like dribbling the ball off his foot and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I was like, hey, man, home home announcing crew, like yeah. I've, I've I understand it. All right, Ben, uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find where you're working on, where they can uh, chat with you about this uh, Michigan-Florida State matchup. <laughs> yeah, I'll be on Twitter, at BRGolker on Twitter. I'll be jump-stopping my way through the comments on DVB <laughs> as I was last week. little shout-out for you there, Les. Appreciate that. <laughs> and, uh, of course, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. It's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-A-N-C-E on Twitter. Uh, This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. See you.